Uh, hello, recovery fam, and welcome back to the Unashamed Recovery Podcast. I am your host, Josh. And I'm your co-host, Drew. And I'm Captain Chaos. I'm Palmer. Put that on a t-shirt. This is season four, episode 53. The title of today's episode is Curious. Today we are joined by a guest, but we don't have a testimony today. We, we're not really doing a, a topic. Today we are just going to have a, a special episode where we're talking about... Being curious. Being curious. Being curious. So, without further delay, roll that intro. Unashamed Recovery Podcast! Yep. There it is. Unashamed Recovery Podcast! Unashamed Recovery Podcast with Josh, Drew, and Palmer starts now. Here at Unashamed Recovery, we believe that there is healing in the story of our scars and that it is okay to not be okay. It is our mission to break the shame and stigma of addiction and recovery by sharing real stories of real addiction from real people in real recovery and real sobriety. That's right. That's right. Our guest today is the founder of the Mississippi nonprofit End It For Good, a TED Talk speaker and resident of Ridgeland, Mississippi, Christina Dent. Christina, welcome to the Unashamed Recovery Podcast. Thank you. Wait a minute. You've done a TED Talk? I have. Like actually yes. been on TED Talk? Yes. Can we get a link to that? I yeah, I, I definitely to want to see that. Like, yeah. Yes. I I've sent, only watched a handful of them. I sent out the, the guest packet to, with all the stuff. Did y'all not? No, okay. I don't read Actually, anything you, did you not send us. <laughs> you did not send that out. Don't tell. You, you could you could send church. it out. You're at a church. You could send it out. I'm still not reading it. <laughs> you're at a, You're lying. <laughs> yes, she, she has done a, a TED Talk. Why didn't, you, why didn't you start amazing. with when you were talking about who? Because I assumed it was common knowledge. Whoa. I, I'm not a mind reader. Hold on. Gosh. He doesn't even tell us who the guests are before this they show true. up. He just says we're going to have a guest. And yeah, and they get it here. Sounds like he sends you something and you just didn't read yeah, it. He probably did. I, I spent hours putting Kinda together like he did. a guest. He packet. didn't even send the show. I doubt it. <laughs> you didn't even send the show. Well, Christina, I, I think that's absolutely amazing. I do actually watch uh, TED Talks from people that I admire or am interested in. And so I am so excited to watch your Ted talk. Yeah. I'm assuming, um, your Ted talk was based off your book curious yeah. that we will get to here in a little bit. But, um, I know that we have more to talk about before we get there. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So with Christina, well, she, once again, she's the founder of end it for good last season. We were joined by Angela. Uh, she came on and talked a lot about what end it for good was doing, so our listeners are familiar with End It For Good, but I want to take this opportunity, before we even get to talking about your book, I want to get your story of how yeah. End It For Good came to be. Mm-hmm. For like, sure. Because I, I know, I've, I've watched the TED Talk, and I've seen parts of some you know other media, but I really want to hear it from you of... While we got you in, in the studio, how did In It For Good come to be? Yeah, I'm really excited to be with you guys and love what you do. And I think it's just really important to give people hope, whether that's people still struggling with addiction or family members of people who yes, need yeah. to be reminded that there is hope and there is possibility. It might not be today or tomorrow, but as long as we can keep walking with those that we love, that's um, right. That's right. there is hope. And so thank Most you guys definitely. for that. Thank you. 
So my story, and I'll just say out of the gate, I have never struggled with addiction and I'm not in recovery. So um, I want to own that because there is, when you hear my story, what I want you to hear is who the real hero of that story is. Um, And that's a woman named Joanne. So I came to this issue in my early 30s as somebody who had no experience with addiction, no knowledge about the drivers of addiction. I grew up in Jackson, living in the Jackson metro area in Mississippi my whole life. And I grew up in this like wonderful home, Christian home, conservative home, had a wonderful faith community, was at church all the time, had great experiences from that, never went through like rebellious teenage years. I just was kind of like the goody two-shoes person, (laughs) (laughs) probably who everybody hated. I don't know. Um, I just didn't have any. That was not me. (laughs) (laughs) No personal experience with like drug use at all. Middle school, high school, nothing. Like I kid you not, my friends and I are like watching movies and eating popcorn on the weekend. Like it never was even like, hey, should we do this? It was like, it was never part of the conversation. Yep. You would have been my so. parents' dream child. <laughs> <laughs> my friends' parents did like me. Maybe this is part of the reason for that. Um, so it really, like, I just had this kind of very, it's not that I did not go through hard things in my life, and Curious does talk about that, my, my book that just came out, um, and shares some of that. And the, the, the beginning formation of realizing there are things going on in people's lives be beneath what you see that behavior is driven by other things. And so much of what we see is behavior and we make judgments on that and we get angry about that. And we uh, sort of label people based on that. And yet all of us are behaving out of a host of internal experiences, scars, wounds, joys, sorrows, you know, that we have had. And so I did have some of that in my childhood, but, but not related to this issue, not related to drugs and addiction. And so I got into my early 30s, still didn't use in my um, adult years. I don't enjoy alcohol, so I've never been someone who drinks even recreationally. And so um, I, I got through college. I have a degree in Bible, you know, just same movies and popcorn scenario <laughs> happening there. <laughs> um, so Did probably you come talk to my kids? <laughs> I mean, I'm over here just like, please talk to my daughter right yeah, now. I mean, just I tell got her. Two, I got two teenage girls, and I'm just like, God, please don't let just them be like talk me. to her. <laughs> the thing is, I was having like a great time. I mean, I, I look back yeah, on my life. You can absolutely like, have an awesome life without had, drugs yeah, and alcohol yes. and sex and all. All that, but like, yes, um, that's having, not typically what we yeah, hear. Yeah. yeah. So. so that was just kind of my my story. So my husband and I become foster parents. Um, I'm in my early 30s at this point, and we had two children already at that time. My two sons had been born, and so we got into foster care. And in foster care, you go through training, but there's no training on addiction. On and yet, the majority of children who are in foster care are there for some sort of drug related cause related to their parents. So you kind of get thrown into this system where you're probably immediately going to come face to face with some of these harms with no context for what to do with that, how to understand that. And so what you do is you pull on whatever it is you thought you knew from before. And for me, that was just whatever the culture told me. And that was people who use drugs are bad people. People who struggle with addiction are bad people. And so already coming into that as a foster parent and you're already um, you're sort of primed to be 
judgmental anyway, because you're coming in as like, help. I'm coming in to help a child because that child's parents, right. the state has determined are unfit. So you're already in this kind of adversarial yeah. relationship out of the gate. And so we became foster parents. And um, through that, I met Joanne and she was the mom of one of our foster sons. So she had struggled with addiction for many years. She had started using when she was about 13 or 14. Um, and her story is all throughout Curious as well. It's not just my story. There's stories of actually a lot of people in Mississippi that are included in the book. And she's one of them. So here you go, parents. You know, your kids can get drugs anywhere. She was introduced to drugs by kids in the church youth group. What? So, you know, it was just Kids like, can get drugs from church? Yes. Yeah, so no it, it way. Is, um, <laughs> I think this is it's so helpful for people with backgrounds like mine who just didn't really have that exposure. Yeah. And, and it's easy to think like, no, if we just, then, if we just bring them naive. to church, if we just sort of like put the walls up, then they're going to be okay and they're never going to get exposed to this stuff. It's just not true. It's, it's everywhere. It, it can reach your children wherever. So we're foster parents and we get this call for this baby who is being released from the hospital after he was born and has been removed from his mom's custody because she was using drugs while she was pregnant. So he comes to our house and, um, you know, the social worker tells me like, gosh, it was like a funeral when I left the hospital. Um, you know, all the nurses were crying and whatever. And I'm thinking, what? Like, that doesn't make any sense. This is a mom who's using drugs while she was pregnant. Like, this is not, this, like, we're protecting this, yeah, this child. Is, this, this is, is like, a good thing, not something that's really sad for him to leave. And so um, he came to our house, and a few days later, I brought him to his first visit with Joanne at the child welfare office. And I get his car seat out of my car and turn around in the parking lot. And here comes this woman running towards me, and she's just, weeping and she runs over and I can hear her like talking to him as she's coming. She's not talking to me. She's talking to her baby Beckham. Who's this tiny little preemie five pound, nine ounce adorable baby. She runs over and just starts kissing him as I'm just awkwardly holding his car seat. And for me, it's this experience that's completely unexpected and I don't have any category for that. And so what do we do when we're, exposed to things we don't have a category for, we immediately try to like push Fear, them away. Yeah, it's like, uh-uh, you know, I, can't be real. Can't be, right. this is like all an act just cause it doesn't make sense in the way yeah. I think about the world. And so I, I kind of tried to do that. Um, she got her one hour of visitation with Beckham and then I came back and picked him up and took him back to my house and she went to inpatient treatment in North Mississippi and she would call me over speakerphone and say, um, you know, is Beckham around? I'm like, yes, he's a tiny infant. He's going nowhere. You know, he's just been <laughs> laying here, eating and sleeping nope, and uh-uh. doing nothing. He's, uh, he's you know? out at the mall. Um, and she would oh, say, okay, out well, for you know, uh, make sure I'm on speakerphone. And then she would sing to him over the phone. Like I can be standing in my kitchen and holding that phone down. And she's singing, Jesus loves me to him. And these experiences begin to kind of snowball for me. Because it is pushing against, you know, I'm trying to push them away, like keep my category safe. Like I am the hero here and I understand what should happen in this situation. And it's not that I don't feel conflict over that because as foster parents, we are committed to reunification of families and children. It's just really difficult to, um, it's a very hard situation as a foster parent because you want to be for the kids. And it's oftentimes very unclear of what that means. Does that mean 
for them as in like this is good for them to go back home yeah. for them meaning they should be protected like w- right. what does for them really mean and it can change you know regularly and so um so she's calling me and then as i'm experiencing this over time and getting to know her i just cannot push that away any longer and it really brings me to this point of of this owning what's true which is she is a mom like me. She does love her son just as much as I love my three sons. She's also struggling with an addiction. And so for the first time, those things could coincide in my mind. It was it always, you know, yeah. Like I always thought of them as like separate. Like if she's struggling with an addiction, that means she doesn't love her son. She does, yeah. you know, she only cares about herself or whatever, all the kind of stigmatized ways that we think about that are. And it, she helped me to see who she really is instead of just allowing my own stigmas and my own way of seeing the world and really way of keeping everything safe and understandable, um, drawing clear lines. And she just shattered those lines for me and helped me to see the woman that she really is, who is incredible. She basically came in and just tore Changed. down all, made, made you confront the stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. that we tore down all, is a good word because this is not a painless process. Yeah. <laughs> it's I can only really imagine. painful. Like, yeah. especially oh, in the gosh, beginning you know? when you're trying to, you know, you're, you're caring and you're trying to care for the child, but at the same time, you're trying to not have disdain for the mom, but try to understand, but at the same time, she's a monster. I mean, that's what it, in general, that's what most people look like in addiction to people who don't understand it. They right. look like monsters. You know? Well, yeah, like, how could you have done this? This is your child. You should have known better You're being because I know better. You're being addiction. selfish. Yeah. yeah, and there's a lot of reinforcement for that. Um, even for people who are sort of unrelated to the situation. You know how people feel like they just have to say something yeah. a- no matter what, even if they don't have anything helpful to say, but it's just sort of a, a human condition. We all say things that we really just should have kept inside. And so I always tell people, you know, if you want instant saint status, become a foster parent because yeah. everybody thinks you hung the moon. Like it's nobody's going to question anything mm-hmm. because it's like, oh my gosh, you're a foster parent. Um, because so, you made the choice to bring kids that aren't yours into your life. Yeah. And so it, to it, take care of them. Yeah. So it, it is. Um, uh, and any time that you feel sort of puffed up, that's a, a dangerous place to be because yeah. you can then begin pride. to feel like, hey, kind of whatever I think in this situation I, is probably right because yeah. here I am in, in this role and I'm trying to do good things. I'm trying to serve the Lord. Um, and so that was – I would get comments where people would, you know, see that we had a new baby with us, or, you know, whatever, at church or just out in the community – and if I would say, yes, yeah, is our new foster son, it's like immediately people will say, I'm so glad that he's with you. That's just so wonderful that he's. And, and so it's, it's a reinforcement of, yes, this is, this is the right thing. And yet, mm. as I'm getting to know Joanne, I'm seeing, wait a second, there is so much more to this story that I didn't know. And I think a lot of other people don't know because I'm, I'm hearing this constantly from people that they're, the assumption immediately um, is a particular thing. And so for, for me, Joanne sort of opened this world of there's something I don't know. And if I'm involved in foster care because I want to care for vulnerable children and families, and I know that most of them are here for drug-related causes, 
then I need to get curious about this, about what I don't understand about this in order to be the most effective foster parent I can be. Like, and really just thinking about the impact of drugs and addiction on our society. If there's anything we could do differently that would like produce better outcomes, that change, however small, would be seismic across society because it impacts almost every family. I mean, how we handle drugs, like the more that I, I got to learning and reading and talking with people trying to figure out like, what don't I understand and what's really true about this versus what I've just sort of picked up from, from the culture that might be complete, you know, hogwash. Um, yeah, especially more, since you weren't immersed in that culture right. to begin with. Like yeah. you, had, you had no idea what <laughs> right. that person was going through because that wasn't your life. Yeah. You, you live kind of a, seems like you live kind of a yeah. sheltered life in the fact that the bubble. You know, mo- yeah. in the bubble, the, <laughs> the movies and the popcorn and yeah. And, yeah. There and, wasn't, yeah, it wasn't was, drugs, alcohol and sex, you know? Yes. And so, so it's a, a different kind of, you know, I always tell people like, I do not have lived experience or whatever. And I had this mom who's been walking with her daughter for 18 years through addiction. And she says, you just have a different kind of lived experience. And right. it's, everybody's experience is useful and help. Like that's right. it, it, there's a place for all of us. And so that's what, as I tell my story of, of Joanne helping me to see, that's what I want people to hear. Joanne, by being vulnerable and open and letting me see who she really is at great cost to herself. And in a situation, go back one more time for the listeners by being what open, vulnerable, letting me see who she really is. I've said it a thousand times. You know, that's what it takes to actually start letting people win. If you want that change in your life, you have to be open, vulnerable, and willing to speak and to have somebody listen that cares. Yeah, people people will take you more serious. They'll they'll actually uh, invest in you as as your story is proving right now. People invest in you if you will be open and vulnerable with them. Like, hey, this is where I'm at. This is what's happened. This is who I am. This is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be better. But if you're not if you're not willing to do that, then people just kind of shut off and go, okay, I'm. No, I this is I I believe this about your addiction and your selfishness and all that and no, I'm going to be over here. So. Well, I think it's the more you keep people cut off and the more that you stay closed off, the more people are going to make their own assumptions. Right. If you don't want people making assumptions and if you don't want people second guessing you, just be open about what you're struggling with, who you are. Right. Like that's that's the number one thing that helped me when I finally said I just cannot. I can't. You know, I told myself a thousand times, "Oh, I can quit." I can stop doing this whenever I want to, you know, as many times as I said that, but finally I got to a point to where I had to look my dad in the face, somebody I'd never been honest with or vulnerable with. I was always protected, you know, myself against him. I finally just got to a point where I just got really vulnerable. I looked him dead in the face. I said, I don't know how to stop using drugs. I'm on them and I don't know how to stop. But isn't that how most of us found Jesus to begin? I'm, I'm yep. sorry that we're 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 Didn't venturing off it. just a little bit, but isn't that how we most of us found Jesus to begin with? I yeah. mean, when I, I thought I was baptized at uh, t- ten years old and thought I was saved for most of my life, and then, you know, here it was ten years ago. I'm you know in in where I was, and I was just finally just like I can't do this by myself. I can't do it anymore. I, coming to coming to God and coming to re uh, to recovery is a whole lot of the same situation in the fact that you finally have to get to that point where you go, I can't do it. There's nothing I can do. I've got to have somebody to help me. 
And so it's awesome that, that there are people out there like you that are um, helping people break that mold of yep. like, okay, I'm willing. Because if you hadn't been willing to listen, if you hadn't been willing to also be vulnerable and also open up, then where would this story even go? You know what I mean? Like you had to be just as vulnerable. You had to, you might not have lived experience like you said, but you have lived experience because you had to be just as vulnerable for, for God to use you in the way that he's using you. I'm going to give the credit to God for that one. Cause I don't know Amen. how much of a willing participant I was. That's all right. Wrestling, which uh, any kind of change that might happen in our life is a serious wrestling. Like yes. change is vulnerable change. Like whether that's changing our lifestyle, whether it's changing the way we think about something, Anytime you're considering something different than whatever is right now right. is like stepping into something you don't know. What's that change going to be like? What's it going to cost you? What's it going to like do to you? How, what's it going to yep. mean for you? And so I felt all of that, this like this wrestling. And I, I feel like the Lord just wouldn't let go of me until I had sort of seen this through and, and really tried to learn. And, and I think that part of what kept me learning because I really don't have any interest, like I'm, as you can tell from my story, I have no interest in drugs. Like this is not what I. This, this is does, not what I'm this interested. This is not popcorn. You know, I don't like it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like I don't have any. Like I have no interest in using them. I have no like I am interested in this issue because I'm interested about people. Right. Yeah. And really, when we talk about drugs, we're talking about people because. Right. Drugs are just the symptom. the activity. They're the symptom. Yep. They're the solution attempt for what's going on in a person's life. And that was something I never knew. I got to be 30 years old and had no concept. I always thought sort of drugs are the focus. And so if there's a, if someone's having a problem with drugs, it's really like the drugs that are the problem. I did not know that, no, this is... This is an attempt to to fill, to medicate, to heal, whatever it is for a person, what other things that are going on in their life. And so Joanne helped me to see that. And once I once that door was open to me, that same empathy that had drawn us into foster care was able to finally realize there's this whole group of people that I have otherized. And I would have said I'm a very empathetic person. Um, I think that's a big part of what led us into foster care is just like being able to put myself in other people's shoes. And, and yet who, whose shoes was I unable to put myself in? Whose yeah. shoes was I unwilling to see? And I think that was really surprising for me in, you know, we're, we're very good at self delusion. So I was able to think, you know, I'm, no, I'm an empathetic person. I serve people. I like, I'm leading ministries at my church. I'm like <clears> care <throat> about, children and yet you know as soon as i get into these like different the sectors it's like it, yeah. oh well not there not <laughs> not for them no well their their choices you know that's all i could see it was kind of like immediately it went to well they're making a choice to use drugs so it's like i'm i don't have any responsibility to right. kind of think of it any other way than in a very negative light and to sort of write that person off um and that's just heartbreaking it's heartbreaking for me to think I lived 30 years of my life, and I'm thankful that the Lord didn't allow that to continue. And I'm sure there are other areas in my life where there's still people that I'm, you know, like I just haven't been able to see yet. That's the challenge of blind spots is we're blind to them. You know, we need we need other people to help us see. We need scripture to help us see. We need all of these 
different things. And so for me, having Joanne to kind of push against that and help me see there's something you've missed and to help me see like one of the really interesting things that I learned on my learning journey that has just continued to stick in my mind to help me understand like the drivers of addiction is about Rat Park. Have you guys heard about Rat yes. Park? Yep. Okay. Yes. We actually talked about that. What was it? Two episodes ago? Okay. So a little bit longer. Was it? Yeah. yeah. Yes. So I Yeah, because I have no idea what we're talking about. Rat Park? Yeah. Was, oh, man. That was with Amy. That was. Yeah. That okay. Was, that was way Okay, I'll give you the 30-second version, Palmer, so we're all up to speed. Thank you. Um, so there's a, a professor <laughs> in, like, the 70s, and he knows about these, um, like, I even saw these advertisements when I was a kid of, like, you put a rat in a box and you give it heroin-laced water and the rat just uses and uses and uses and dies. So it's, you know, don't use heroin. Like, this is what heroin does to you. And the professor is looking at this and he's going, he's also working in a clinic at the time, working with people who struggle with addiction. And he was really nervous going in because he was like, these are like untrustworthy people. And I, you know, but I have to, because this is where I've been assigned um, as a, as a student. And so he's going in and he's like, oh, the more, like when I talk to my clients, like it's not about the drugs at all. It's about other things that are going on yep. in their life. And so he starts watching these um, and his, his, the students he's now teaching are saying, no, 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 it's all about the drugs. You've got to watch these, you know, videos of these rats in these boxes and what they do with this drugged water. So he looks at it and he goes, wait a second, rats are like humans in that they're incredibly social animals. And here they are solitary in a confined box with nothing to do. And so he and his colleagues build what they call rat park on like the floor of their lab. And they just put, you know, sawdust and boxes that the rats can play in and wheels. And they put a bunch of rats in there. And they also put the laced water. And what they find is the rats almost never choose the laced water. They're happy. They're going about their little rat lives. And if they use, they don't use excessively. It's, it would be like the, the rat version of recreational use. Um, because the rest of their life is filled up with the things that make they, rats happy. Yeah. Um, and so he, it's kind of this revolutionary, um, you know, they're talking about it with colleagues and, and nobody wants to hear it because it goes against the prevailing idea, right. which is, this is all about the drugs and we got to just fight the drugs. And he's saying, no, no, no. What if it's actually about the cage? What if it's about mm. what's, what that per the life that person has not what's available to them yep. in terms of a drug. Right. And that was just so revolutionary to me to shift my, comp my focus from thinking about drugs to thinking about why people want to use them. And that just started this sort of spiral of additional learning, thinking about, gosh, what would, if that's true, that, that the reasons people want to use drugs are out of hurt and, maybe trauma, loneliness, isolation, all of these other reasons, then arresting people, putting them in jail, which is an incredibly traumatic environment, is really using trauma to try to heal trauma. And, and not only that, the isolation aspect of it. You know, you get isolated even more. And just like you were saying with Rat Park, you know, one rat that's isolated is going to go to the treated water every time. You know, and so even when you're locked up, does not mean there's no drugs in jail. Trust me, I know. Right. I mean, it's it's worse <laughs> there than it is in the street. And so eventually you start kind of going in with what everybody else is doing. You know what I mean? Um, I particularly did not. Uh, thank God for that. At that point, I was deep in my faith. 
you know. Um, and so it kept me with the other activities. I was more focused on the other activities than those activities that were happening there, you know. And I found a group of people that were actually wanting to be involved in the Bible as well. So I mean, yeah, I was going to say that in Rat Park, if if you had taken three or four or four or five rats that were already addicted to the heroin and put them with other rats and kept them confined, like in a in a smaller version of Rat Park, they would probably, okay, we're all going to do this because, you know, my, I mean, that's how, that's the the reason I'm saying that, that's how I feel sometimes prison is. Right. Or jail is. You've put in an addictive person. Okay. We're talking drugs and, you know, or alcohol related jail. Right. I'm not talking like hard, hard criminals, but you take somebody who, is is on drugs or alcohol or whatever, made mistakes, mainly drugs, right? And you put them in an environment that they can still get drugs and the people around them still doing drugs, then we're not solving anything. Nope. We're just... You're keeping their temperature at the same just like, level. You're not cooled them off whatsoever. It's just like you just said. I mean, you're literally uh, fighting trauma with trauma. Whereas, you know, that's the great thing I, I love about what we're doing here in Rankin County. Our people are not just focused on you're just in jail. Do your time, figure it out, get out, be better. No, they actually are like trying to teach them to be better. So for me, that was kind of like, well, it's no wonder we're not seeing better outcomes yeah. using this approach because it's it's like pouring gasoline on a fire for most people. You know, you every now and then you hear somebody that says, jail saved my life. But you're also 12 times more likely to die from an overdose when you come out of incarceration than you were. So you got to look at both sides. you got to look at all the costs, not just the positives, but is it working for most people? Is it sort of fundamentally an approach that should work for this issue? What's the cost in terms of people who are dying versus if they had not been, you know, incarcerated in the first place? So I think all those things just really led me back after the long version, Josh, to your original question, end it for good, (laughs) how do we get there? Um, It was after this learning journey and realizing, gosh, I have completely misunderstood addiction. I've misunderstood why people use drugs. I've misunderstood even going further into drug markets and what's creating crime and why are so many people dying of overdoses. It just felt like we we are fundamentally misunderstanding and mishandling this issue on every front. And so we continue to get these terrible outcomes. You know, illegal drug use has doubled in the last 20 years. I believe it. Overdose is now the leading cause of accidental death in the U.S. Like our trajectory is in the wrong direction, not in the right direction. And I think if we dig deeper and look at those root causes, that's where we're going to begin to realize why this approach is actually increasing harm instead of decreasing it. And so I started in it for good as a way to invite people into that conversation. For me, it was about a year and a half sort of learning journey after I met Joanne from like, clearly there's things that I understand to like really wrestling through some of these solutions that I've come to support are really uncomfortable for me. And, yeah. and there was a lot of wrestling through like, oh, can I support this as a Christian? What about like as a mother of sons that I don't want using drugs? What about as, you know, somebody who has a particular view of the role of government or whatever it might be? And so that I I really wanted to give people a space where they could come and learn. So we host events all over the state. They could come and learn and say, I'm going to be exposed to some new ideas, maybe things I've never thought about before. And nobody's going to beat me over the head and say, you've got to agree with this. You know, now you've got to agree or you're not going to be 
you know, you're not a good person or anything like that. We just are so committed to respectful dialogue, to education and learning, to sharing ideas, because I don't think any one of us, including our organization, has the exact perfect path forward for us. We think we've got some of the big ideas that could help. And yet there's a lot of gray area of how would those be implemented and what could we do here in Mississippi? And so that has been a really amazing journey. We became a nonprofit in 2019. And now we do things like this. We talk with people on podcasts. We do presentations. We're hosting events. My book is coming out. It's out now, actually. Um, And so it's just to invite people onto this learning journey to say, if you think we're doing, if you think we could get better outcomes, come get curious with us, come learn about some new ideas and consider whether you think they could work and whatever changes you want to see. And maybe that's some small change, like you want to see a recovery ministry happen in your church. Like maybe it's not even a a law change or anything like that. Dive in and make it happen because the only way that culture changes, like culture is made by people. It's made by us. Our culture, the way our culture approaches addiction is made by you and I, how we approach addiction. And the more that we're able to talk about that, the more we're able to break down some of those barriers of knowledge. Um, and, And a lot of times that's even for people who are walking with a loved one through addiction. You know, it can be so painful for those family members that it's hard to see past that behavior and say, this is still the son, the brother, the nephew, the parent that I love. And, and that I think is what I want the book to do is to help people be able to own what they know. They Mm, know that that person that they love is still the person that they love, even underneath all of that chaos and harmful behavior and whatever is happening. Um, And the sad thing is, you know, there's a mom whose son has struggled with addiction. He's incarcerated currently. And she says, you know, one of the things that breaks her heart the most is that she still knows that it's her son, but everybody else just sees him as an inmate, as a number. And so, um, yeah, I just, I hope that the book, the book is partially Joanne's story, partially my story, partially these ideas that we're talking about with people of shifting away from a criminal justice approach to drugs, moving towards a health-centered one. What could that really look like? Um, And help people, no matter their experience, to be able to really regain a sense of the deep parts of what we're talking about, which is people made in the image of God. How can we care for them? Most definitely. We're about to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the book. But before we go to break, I got one question for you. We're talking about how the decriminalizing aspect of what In It For Good is doing trying to go more to a a health-centered approach. When I think about that, and you had touched on it just for a brief second earlier, when I think about that, I think about, especially here in Mississippi, you have such polar opposites on the political uh, spectrum. When you're you're trying to talk with people about moving from the the decriminalizing uh, uh, addiction and all that, what aspect is the hardest to convey to people? Because I can see conservatives on the conservative side, be like, well, that's, that's going toward liberal or, you know, I, I can see how you're isolating people on both sides. How do you get around that when you're, when you're talking about the decriminalizing aspect? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's, um, part of it's helpful for my own background as someone who's conservative. And so I think people are, maybe they begin to hear my story and they're like, 
she's probably become liberal. That's why she, you know, she's like changed her, you know, uh, she votes differently now. She, you know, whatever. Um, And I would say, no, I I actually think this is a return to a conservative approach, which is limited government. It's, it's limiting the role of, of, Mm -hmm. of government to try to force you to make particular choices um, cause really when we talk about just like not arresting people for drug possession or even moving some drugs back into legal markets instead of underground markets where there's so much crime and violence happening in our communities because of the underground yep. drug market, it really is like, do we care about reducing crime? This is a, this is a crime reduction strategy because it is defunding all of the criminal activity that happens because of the underground yep. drug trade. And do we care about actually helping people to get help for their addiction instead of just putting them in jail where, you know, like you said, they, they have easy access to drugs in jail too. I mean, it is outrageous. So we're, we're not solving the issue by putting consumers in jail. We're not solving the crime issue. You know, overdoses are happening because of contamination that's happening because there's no quality control. Cause you can't have quality control when you got some, you know, random something somebody's buying on the street. It's yep. whatever anybody wants to put in it. And so I, I really think of it as, um, you know, my, the ideas I think could actually help us, they help everyone, whether you are primarily interested in, you know, justice or helping um, people who are more vulnerable, not have significant harm in their life, or whether you care about reducing crime or you care about preserving family structures. You think about how many people, let me give you a stat here, Josh. So in 2021, we sent to prison. This is not people who were already there. Sent to prison 1,300 people just for drug possession. And that's in the state of Mississippi. And just in Mississippi. Wow. 1,300 people for drug possession. This is not like this is what MDOC, Department of Corrections, this is the charge they are incarcerating them for. The average age, 36. Average length of sentence, five years. So you think about we are removing over a thousand people a year. That's not people sitting in jails, city and county jails. That's not people already in prison. New people going to prison. You think about, they are all connected to a family. Many of them are parents who are now removed from their children's lives for years. When we think about being a state that is primarily pro-life, pro-family, pro, like wanting stability and community and all of those things. These Approaches to drugs and addiction are working against that in yep. every way. And Absolutely. we really want to see people stay alive, be able to find recovery, people be able to be with their families. And if they're sitting in prison or if they're dead, that that's not happening. I mean, not only is it working against it, I mean, you're creating more addicts. I mean, you're creating more people that are going to be in addiction because the more you're taking people out, there's the less education that's happening. And it's becoming indoctrinated for society. I don't know if you guys have can tell here lately that drugs are, are being indoctrinated into our kids' lives more so than they're, they're not. Right. You know, we used to have a very adamant D.A.R.E. program in Meridian to where I think it was, what, every week, you know, or every other week they would have a, a D.A.R.E. cop come into the schools. I asked my kids, when's the last time they saw one? Never. We don't even have a D.A.R.E. cop in Meridian. They don't even have a D.A.R.E. program anymore. Yeah. What's D.A.R.E.? So, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that's probably what they would say. Well, I mean, it's just, but that to me is just so weird. You know, back when they started this war on drugs in the 80s, and, and every time that, you know, you, we're talking about end it for good, I always say it's a war on people. It's not a war on drugs. Yeah. You know. So I'd love to see, instead of the dare cop coming to schools, could we send a nurse? Right. 
somebody say, somebody who is in healthcare saying, let me tell you what the risks to your body are going to be from these substances. Because yeah. I think kids, you know, they, all, they have phones by the time they're, I'm not saying this is a good idea, but a lot of kids have phones by the time they're like seven yeah. with internet access. They can Google whatever thing is told to them and they can tell you in three seconds if it's true hey, or not. Yep. So the, the education that we grew up under that was primarily fear-based and not all true, <laughs> they know. And if they Google one thing and they see it's not true, they're done listening. Yep. So can we be honest with them and teach them not just what a drug can do, but why would they want to use it? What is it going to do for them? And what is that really in them that it's, that it's filling? Yeah. You know, you're probably going to go smoke pot and you're going to like the way it makes you feel. Why? Why is it that you would like that sense of, you know, whatever it gives you? It's because you want to feel that way. And there are other ways to get that feeling. There are other ways to deal with the hurts in our lives. There are other ways to Most find definitely. meaning. There are like, this is what our children need from us. They need to understand why drugs are going to be appealing to them. Or they're going to use them and think, I don't know what everybody was saying. Like, they told mm -hmm. me this was going to destroy my life, and I think it's pretty great. <laughs> Yeah. If, can we be we've honest with them about, you know, I mean, but just from, from me being a non-active addict, I, I have the talk with my kids more often than not. And I know it gets on their nerves, but at the same time, this is me indoctrinating them on why you shouldn't do it. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we hear, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't yeah. do it, don't do it. It's like telling a kid, I know for the 17 year old in the house right now, you know, it's always don't push the red button. Okay. And he does it, but you're, you're, Always asking, why are you pushing the red button? If I asked you not to do it, well, you didn't tell me what would happen if I pushed it. So I wanted to find out anyway. Yeah, so, so I'm in a, a parenting class taught by Jennifer Miller. Right. And um, that was that's one of the first things that, that she was teaching us was that we we grew up, you know. Just, don't do it. Yeah. And you and, don't and do don't it. don't do it. Why? <laughs> why shouldn't you do it? Oh, because you're going to get your head cracked open. Or? Because I told you not to do it. Yeah, because I said so. Yeah, because I said so. And Jennifer's like, the one biggest thing with parenting that way is, like, you need to tell them why. Why am I in trouble because I did this? Or why shouldn't I do this? And so that that's one of the biggest takeaways that I've taken away from the class and, and that I've started truly implementing with my teenagers and, and my son, but mainly the teenagers because they – They've had more wrong parenting than they've had right, right, if I'm being honest. And so I'm trying to teach them like, hey, okay, this is why I don't want you to do that. I love what you just said as far as instead of bringing a cop in, a police a officer in, yeah. but bring in a nurse. Because one, that also makes me think of the church. What is What do we say the church is? It's a hospital for broken people, right? You know that's what that's what it's supposed to be. We're we came in we came to a church or we came to God because we couldn't do it ourselves. We needed something and we were broken, and so, so I think you're spot on with with sending a nurse or somebody not police officer because otherwise, when when that child thinks of drugs, what is the image that pops in our head from Dare from all them years ago was well, a cop. That's it. So I'm going to get arrested. Yep. I shouldn't do the drugs. What's the why? Because I'm going to get arrested. Well, I can. Why shouldn't I push that button? Because I told you not to. Well, I can probably live with the consequences if I can know what that button does. But if you explain to him, yeah, just like you were, just like you said, if you explain to him, if you hit that red button, this whole house is going to fall down. Yeah, they're going to probably look at that button, want to push it, 
But thinking about the consequences, hey, if this house falls down, I can't put it back together. I'm just going to say before we go to break, that house would fall if it was at my house. (laughs) (laughs) The house will fall, really? (laughs) That's my bad, Dad. (laughs) Can we put it back together? Can we put it back? Uh, Yes, but it's not going to look the same. (laughs) All right, well. Gonna have some let's take a let's take a break real quick. Let's uh, let's pay some bills. Let's uh, honor our spot sponsors, including End It for Good, and you'll be able to hear that in just a second. Uh, we'll explain a little bit more about them and uh, all of our other sponsors, and we'll be right back with Christina to where we're going to talk about her new book, Curious, which I'm sure you can find on Amazon and their website and all that. But we'll get to that in just a second. We'll be right back. Unashamed Recovery Podcast is heard around the world in over 42 countries, including over 780 cities in all 50 states here in the United States. People around the world are hearing the message of the hope of recovery from addiction, and that's because of listeners like you who donate, but also because of our sponsors. Local sponsors like D's Automotive in Meridian, Mississippi, serving the East Central Mississippi and West Alabama areas for over 42 years. D's is a name you can trust when it comes to your vehicle. For all your complete car care needs and service and towing and car locks, that's D's Automotive. Go by and see Miss Jeannie, Mike, and the boys at 5024 Poplar Springs Drive. That's 5024 Poplar Springs Drive in Meridian. Or give them a call at 601-482-1800. That's 601-482-1800. 1800 and tell them that Josh and Drew sent you. The Unashamed Recovery Podcast is also sponsored by Ended for Good. Ended for Good is a Mississippi based nonprofit that works on advocacy and education around drug policy in Mississippi. Ended for Good works to help communities understand how health centered approaches to addiction can help local communities become safer and keep more families thriving. If you're interested in learning more about harm reduction, you can check out Ended for Good on all social media or on their website at enditforgood.com. That's enditforgood.com. Unashamed Recovery is also sponsored internationally by Sober Life Love, a sober dating site made for the sober community. Are you tired of the dating scene revolving around alcohol and drugs? Do you want to find someone who shares your commitment to a sober lifestyle? Look no further than Sober Life Love. The Sober Life Love platform is specifically designed for individuals who are sober and seeking a partner who shares in their same values. Whether you're in recovery, prefer not to drink, or simply choose to live a sober lifestyle, we provide a safe and supportive community for you to connect with like-minded individuals. With our advanced matching algorithms, you can find compatible partners who understand your journey and respect your choices. From sober activities to meaningful conversations, our dating services are offers a variety of ways to connect and build relationships. Soberlife.love is the new way to connect with people who understand and support your journey. Join today for free at www.soberlife.love. That's www.soberlife.love. Now back to your normally scheduled programming right here on Unashamed Recovery Podcast. And we're back in... uh as we were just talking about, we were uh, we're here with Christina, and she's given us our our explanation of how she started End It for Good and why she started End It for Good. But a lot of this podcast today is to 
get people familiar with the with your book that's coming out. That uh, by the time this this podcast released, the book will be released. In fact, you can give us our release date in just a few minutes. But um, Christina has a book coming out. It's called Curious. And all right, Christina, I'm curious about what curious means. So let's <laughs> tell me about the book. Then the title of the book has done its work. Yeah, it, there. it sure has. <laughs> So I, I agonized over the title of this book because it, it's my story. Like it starts when I'm nine years old. Every chapter starts with a story either from my life or somebody else's life who is part of this journey. Um, it's very much kind of a memoir, and yet it's a memoir on this particular issue and follows Joanne and I through our story together and into where that where that went. Um and so we were going through like all these different names and uh, talking with other people about it. And my husband comes in the house one day and he was like, you know, I know you're like agonizing over the name of this book, but your whole journey is just about you becoming curious. Why don't you just call it curious? And I was like, that's it, yeah. babe. That's awesome. And it, it, it just feels like it's just, it is the right word for it. And a lot of people who have read early copies have said like, this is the perfect name for this book. Cause it is, it's my journey. It's what I learned. It's what I want to invite other people to consider. But again, it's not like this hard sell for, you know, now sign on the dotted line. We're all on the same page and we're all going to, you know, agree on all the things. It's and not that at all. Easy, it would have been easy for you to just call it ended for good. You I know what I mean? Like you, you could have easily just went with the, the, the easy title. But I think yeah. you went with the perfect title. And I haven't read the book yet, but I think you went with the perfect title just because when you read the word curious, you're like, huh. I wonder what you know. Yeah, what it makes you curious. I, I'm in. I, I at least I'm at least gonna read the synopsis. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I I need to know what yeah. is this about? It's what? like nobody wants to be hit over the head with anything. Right. Like, it does not matter what it is. None of like I I just think we need to respect the fact that God gave us intellects. Right. Like He gave us the ability to think for ourselves, right. and not that we're not often swayed by other people because we are. But I, I don't I don't want to come in and like shame somebody into agreeing with me or like beat them over the head. Yeah. I want to say, look, come on this journey with me. See where it leads you. And if it leads us towards a place that we think could help save lives, let's work on that together. Like, yeah, that's worth doing. So you can get curious um, on Amazon. You can go to our website, indifforgood.com slash curious, and you can buy it through there also. Um, and it really is just this journey. It's an invitation to other people to take the journey. If you are impacted, which I'm guessing most people who listen to your podcast have some connection to this issue and maybe a deep connection to it, they might be thinking, she's never been in addiction. She's never been in recovery. I'm not sure this book is for me. I had a guy that's on our um, book launch team. Technically, you have. Technically, you have. Not through direct contact Mm. with a drug or alcohol but through direct contact with Joanne. Mm. Yeah. You've, so you've lived her life experiences because you're living life with her, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, but I think, the, I think what she's kind of getting at is like when I first started, when I was younger, I, went, when it, I saw a bunch of therapists. And I needed to know, even as a younger kid, I needed to know, what have you gone through? Right. What gives mm. you the right to tell me what I should do in this situation? And so... I've always kind of had that mindset, but you're you are changing my hey changing perspective. You're changing, <laughs> shifting my, yeah, shifting my perspective <laughs> because it proves to me that maybe somebody hasn't 
walked your shoe, walked in your shoes or walked even the same road that you have, but because you were um, curious, curious, but like you were uh, affected by somebody else's story and by somebody else's life experience, it it allows you to be worthy enough to tell me what I should be doing. So I think that's kind of what she was trying to say. Like there's so many people out there like me that never really had their bubble pop when it comes to the drug. Right. And and, it, yeah. and always and always said if you haven't lived it, then you have no reason to to Talking tell me how it. to yeah. how to fix it. But that's not necessarily true. And you're living proof of that that it, it's not necessarily true. Yeah. So I think I hope that people will find you know, people who have read it have been people like me who haven't had like a direct you know, experience growing up or personally been, you know, in addiction or something like that. And yet they have found, they've said, this is like just a really touching and, and shifting perspective and helping them to think through who are the people that, that I might be otherizing. And for people in recovery, cause I'm always very aware of just, you know, as I think about again, like the hero in this story is Joanne. She is the woman who has woken right. up every day for eight years and made the choice to stay sober and parent her son now. You know, he'll, he'll be eight years old this month. And so, like, she helped me to see she is the one who has just, like, changed the trajectory of a life that was marked by drug use for 20 years. That's incredible. Incredible. She deserves 100% props on that. You couldn't get her on the show? Maybe we can. Yeah, you can. Y'all need to have her on. You need to have her on. She just spoke at our at our summit. So that would um, be awesome. Yes, that'd be awesome. But there's a guy who he was in addiction for a long time, and he read the book, um, an early copy of it, and he said, "This is a really healing experience for me to read this." Um, so I think it has. There's something for everybody in it. Whether it's you know, there's as as you guys know, there's. There's a huge gap often between sort of people who understand what's really happening with addiction and people who just don't. And trying to bridge that gap can be really challenging, whether it's trying to help your family understand, no, I did not hate you all those years. Like, there's just so much. And so there's so much complexity, so much hurt that's part of that. And I hope that the book is also a bit of a bridge to say, could you read this? It's not long. It's going to take you like four hours to read probably. Like it's not like this, you know, 300 page, you know, something where you're like committing six months of your life to it. Uh, That's good. I was going to ask for the cliff notes. Right. It's it's basically the cliff notes already. And it's all story driven. So it's like you're, you know, every chapter you're not going straight into like, here's a statistic. Like it just, you're going into, here's a story. Right. Um, And so that's what I want. I want it to be like a resource for people to say, this is, something that might help me make sense of my own story. And it's also something I could give to somebody else to help them maybe make sense of theirs or help them understand my story. Like, you know, a lot of us have a hard time kind of trying to communicate our experiences. And if there's some part of that, that's helpful for people um, because of the other stories included in it, a father who lost his son to an overdose, like if that can help someone else to find healing that would be the greatest success Most for that definitely. book for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you Most know, definitely. it's not about it being a successful book to have a successful book. I wrote it because I felt like there are solutions here that I think could revolutionize the way we approach drugs and addiction in the world in a way that would give us a different world, a different level of harm, a much less level of harm. So well, for you guys as listeners, oh, go ahead, Josh. No, I was just going to say, and like you were just saying about how there's a solution. Well, 
Your tagline for your book is awesome because it says a foster's mom discovery of a unexpected solution to drugs and addiction. I love that because yeah. the solution ain't always our expected solution. Sometimes it's unexpected and we come across that in unexpected places. So I love that. I love that you were, you were touching on that. So yeah. anyway, so yeah. also yeah. love that end it for good is not trying to sit here and say, we know what we're doing and you should do it our way. And we're not open to anybody else's suggestions. We've got this. Well, I, I love I, the initiative. Yeah. I, I mean, I love it. It's, I mean, the fact that you, you're sitting here saying, Hey, we think we have a good game plan. We think we've developed some, some great ways to help most people. But if you have a salute, you, if you have a suggestion, by golly, come Let and us tell us, right. you know? Yeah. I always have told people on this issue, especially because it's only been part of my world and learning and all of that for the last couple of years is like, whenever I stop learning, please stop listening to me. Cause <laughs> the minute we shut down and say like, I have now discovered everything. No, nobody has learned everything they need to know. <laughs> nobody has discovered, yeah, you know, the secret right. and is no longer able to be like that. That's a really dangerous place to be. So. I have now reached the top. That's right. <laughs> Nobody oh, wants to hear only to climb another mountain. Yes. Like. <laughs> yes. Yes. So we have a special for um, podcast listeners. You can email me at curious at enditforgood.com. The first five people to do that. So we're going to reward your, your listeners who listen quickly to these episodes. Awesome. First five people, email me at curious at enditforgood.com. We're going to send you a free copy. Of you have curious. no idea. I have five different emails. <laughs> I've already emailed you. Uh, we're going to find you out. We're going to find you out. Heard <laughs> but you know what? That if you have quick. five different mailing addresses, then I'm just going to send you the books because that's going to be a, a next level of commitment to deception. So Amen. Um, I'm just not going to put the amount of time that's going to be needed to, to stop you from that. I'm going to let the Lord deal with you on that one. I've got a, I've got a room at the end of forgood.com uh, hotel now. Thanks. <laughs> All right, so once again, curious at enditforgood.com. Mm-hmm. So first five to, yep. to And email. just put unashamed recovery in the subject line so we'll know where nice. your connection right. point is to it. And we would love to do that. Also, we have something else for you. So all of you in, in this listenership are connected to this issue in some way. But for some of you, you might be kind of in the advocacy space and are like, I want to tell people yeah. – my story. I want to tell them these ideas. I want to help them rethink how they approach drugs or addiction or whatever it might be, but nobody listens. And how do you like communicate something that you're really passionate about in a way that people can hear rather than in a way that like pushes them further away? Cause there's nothing more demoralizing than like feeling like you have, you have something important to say and people are like, uh, you know, they're, you're, they're getting further away from you the more you talk about it. So I want you to pull out your phones in text to this number, the number is 601-299-4372. Text the word TALK to 601-299-4372. And we have a resource. It's just a PDF. It's easy. It's one page. It's five keys to having productive conversations on polarizing topics. So that's no matter what you're talking about. You might be talking about politics. drugs and addiction. You might be talking about politics. You might be talking about you know, whatever the thing is that All you All the things are... you should be talking about at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Uh, with your no, in-laws. No, no. Yeah, this is one of my like one of my rules is your family is not the people to convert on whatever it is that you are like passionate about. Like yeah, preserve yeah, those I mean, family 
ties. Like they, are they're you sure like, we don't want to put this before Thanksgiving. There are like just, eight billion I, people in the world. You can go and convert on whatever issue it is that you're passionate about. You know, the ten people in your immediate family, they really don't need to be them. Let's try to have like good relationships with those like, people. I love my parents. Them. I do, but every time I, that I bring an idea across their table, well, <laughs> they hit you with one of those. <laughs> well, not real sure. Are you sure? You know, then you start second guessing. Then it right. just kind of shuts down the idea of yeah. I can make a difference or I can make a change. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, sometimes those people that are close to you that love you the most can be a little detrimental to your growth. You know, when it comes to wanting to see things from a different perspective outside of the cultural bounds that we have strapped ourselves in, you know, um, Yep. So, yeah, step outside yep. of the family dynamic and go yep. ask other people, you know. Yep. There's a lot of people out there that are open to it. And I think we have uh, discovered through this work and through leading these events where people have dialogue on this issue. And we're presenting, for most people, very challenging ideas, ch- ideas that still challenge me, like I said. Um, and so it's a really polarizing topic. People have very emotional responses when you talk about drugs and addiction. And so it's tough. It's not that we're out there talking about something easy. And so we've just put this together because no matter what it is that you want to share, we want a world where people are able to have respectful conversations and disagree. That's a healthy world for all of us. And so um, no matter what your, what your issue is, you can text talk to 601-299-4372. And we'd love to give you that PDF um, and just give you some tools. A little slower. Well, we'll, and we'll also put that in the show notes as well. Like okay, that, good. that number Ooh. and all that will will be in the show notes for the podcast. But yes, please give it one more time slower. Sorry, for, so Palmer, for, for Palmer can Palmer. catch that. Palmer. 601. 601. Old school Mississippi here, you could. 601. 299-4372. <laughs> Just text the word talk. We're talk. going to help you have some great conversations. Awesome. I, yeah, I, I think that's awesome. Not only uh, everything else that you're doing, but even if you only did that, on teaching people how to have polarizing conversations. conversations, man, that is amazing because a lot of us, whether you're in recovery or not, or I mean, especially when it comes to our faith, that can be a polarizing conversation and how some, yeah. some people would love to know, I'm, I'm some people would love to know how, how do I have a better version of this conversation? Yeah. So man, yeah. please y'all go text that number, get that PDF and, uh, and get your free book That's yeah, right. That, and get your free book. All right. Well, Christina, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming Many on thanks. And, and talking with us and, and sharing not only your story, but sharing about your book. Uh, I'm 100% without a doubt that it's going to touch lives and it's going to change the, the narrative of the conversation and the decriminalizing uh, addiction talk that yeah. we're trying to have in the state and across the country. So big things are coming for there. So everybody go out and uh, get that book. Uh, it is out now. While you're listening, the book is available. So go buy the book. Buy two of them and give one to a friend. And, Amen. And with that being said, that's all the time that we have for today's episode. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Unashamed Recovery Podcast. I hope that you have found it helpful. And I hope that you have found it encouraging. Want more recovery content? Visit our brand new website, unashamedrecovery.com, for our new sobriety and recovery themed blogs to take you deeper into your sobriety and recovery journeys. That's where you'll also find all the links to our social media. There you can even donate to the show to help us reach more people still lost in the darkness of addiction. Also, check out more amazing recovery podcasts over at Take 12 Recovery Radio Recovery Podcast Network. The link is in the show notes as well as under the partners page on the new website. That is all for this episode 
episode, remember to stay sober and above all else to keep 12th stepping as you stay unashamed. We love you.